Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. So glad that you're joining with us today. And we have the opportunity to join with you uh, across thousands of locations while you're all sheltering in place. And, you know, uh, it's not going to be that long before we're going to slowly start getting out of this whole shelter in place. And I'm excited about that. I am so excited about us being able to be together again. And I hope that this distancing has just created an appetite in you to want to experience that again. But until then, this is what we have. And I'm so grateful to God that we have this technology and all these platforms where we can share the word of God with you and your family. And we all get better when we have uh, that opportunity to spend time in God's word. So we welcome you today. And uh, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. I guess the word should be more than a journey. It's more like a quest. A quest is uh, the pursuit of some noble purpose. uh, And in our case, there can can be no more noble purpose than to find a cure. Now that cure is not going to be easy, is it? It's going to demand a level of commitment, an unwillingness to compromise and a restructure of our priorities. Now, I'm not talking about a cure for the coronavirus. I'm talking about a cure inside of us. But let me tell you, if we can reach that level of commitment, that unwillingness to compromise and restructure our priorities, it's going to be worth it. And I think we're ready for this. I think that God has prepared us for this because so many of us are already committed, right? We've already pushed back on any kind of compromise. We've already restructured our lives around this priority of defeating coronavirus. So we have a preset in us uh, when we're talking about the cure, God's word as the cure. This preset's already inside of us and we've heard a lot about uh, the other issue. I'm sure like, like me, you're spending time watching television. Uh, you're hearing all these press briefings. And what do we hear? We hear these doctors come out and they talk a lot about vaccines. And they, uh, But when they do, they go 12 to 18 months. I've noticed that you know, we're about two months in and they haven't even changed that number. Still 12 to 18 months. And so we know that a vaccine is well off into the future. And even though they, they say that vaccine, you know, there's still not a vaccine for AIDS. And that started in 1980 in America. And we have vaccines for the flu, but I think this last year was only maybe 30% effective. I don't know if a vaccine will be the answer. And we've also heard about antivirals, haven't, haven't we? That uh, they should come sooner than a vaccine. But we don't know how long they're going to take. And we don't really know how effective they will be either. And they're talking about what kind of side effects they might have. And then we've also heard about seasonality as things get warmer, as things get more humid, that uh, this disease is not able to really thrive in that, uh, 
uh, in that particular type of season. Uh, but we don't know much about that either. And they're talking about the possibility of a resurgence in the fall. And we know a lot, don't we, about mitigation. And we know a lot about social distancing. But that also seems to be different in, in different places in the United States, and particularly in high population versus lower population uh, areas. And uh, with all of that, with all of what we're trying to do and what we can't do and what we're putting on, not putting off, but waiting for that's pretty far down the road, uh, there are a lot of heavy implications that are coming from this, right? It's completely changing life as we know it. People are out of work. Just in the last few weeks, some 20 to 30 million people are out of work in the United States. And that's incredible when you think about that happening so fast. For many of us, it feels like we're under house arrest uh, in some circumstances. We're having to choose between all bad options. Like there really aren't any good options. Now, we're trying not to get this disease, but while we're doing that, we're watching our economy die uh, in many ways, we're losing our constitutional rights, and it can be absolutely maddening, can't it? I mean, it, it, eventually, the frustration level just goes up and up, and what do we have to tamp that down? What do we have to uh, mitigate the emotions that are inside of us and inside of our families? We don't like circumstances where people in authority are totally controlling our lives, but it feels like that, right? I know like you, I want my life back. I bet you want your life back. And it gets harder and harder to not be cynical and to not be frustrated. Wouldn't it be great if we just had a cure? Wouldn't it be great if it just didn't make any difference in our life anymore? Well, this is where we enter Matthew. We might be talking about coronavirus when we talk about world events, but there are deeper things that I want us to explore as we go through this new series together. And that's where we're gonna spend some time in God's word, book after book after book. And that begins in the New Testament with the book of Matthew. And what I want us to do is I want us to explore the gospel of Matthew and the person of Matthew. This gospel was written by a Jewish tax collector. Now, what does that mean? It means that he made his living collecting taxes from his Jewish countrymen. He did that for the Roman government. And because of that, his countrymen considered him a traitor for that. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Well, that is a profound scripture. Now, Matthew's given name was Levi or Levi, you might uh, call it. Matthew was probably the name that Jesus gave him. And it had to be astonishing, astounding to the other followers of Jesus that Jesus would literally walk up to a tax collector's table, the enemy's table, and ask this guy of all people, this traitor to his country, come and follow me. And I'm so glad that Jesus knows so much more about us than other people who might judge us, right? You see, tax collectors like Matthew, they made their money from overcharging on taxes 
And Matthew was probably good at it. Really, really good at it. As a matter of fact, he was good at it enough that he was able to throw a lavish dinner party for Jesus. And that wouldn't have come cheap. We read about that in Luke chapter 5, verse 29. It says, then Levi, which is his other name, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of, guess what, tax collectors and others were eating with them. I, I love that, that he invited all of his friends and his friends would have been other traders. His friends would have been other tax collectors. What I want to know, though, is an answer to the deeper question, and that is, why would he do that? Why would he invite Jesus to a dinner party and invite all of his friends to go to this dinner party to meet Jesus? Let's dive into that a little bit. You can tell by Matthew's writing that he's smart. Not just a little smart, he's very smart. And he has an accountant's mind, an analytical mind, a mathematical mind. And he is relentless in his gospel to prove that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. And what you find as you read through the book of Matthew is that he has a great knowledge of the Old Testament. So his decision to become a tax collector it comes in direct opposition to his understanding of what it means to be Jewish during that time of Roman occupation. I mean, you think about it. This is not a guy making a flippant decision. With his knowledge of the Old Testament, he has a wealth of information about prophecies, particular prophecies in the Old Testament about a coming Messiah, all right? And he's all also very, very plain about his opinion of the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, he has a really low opinion of them when you read the book of Matthew. All this to say that with worthless spirituality, what I mean by that is that the Jewish religious leaders in the religious landscape at the time of Matthew was really a passionless, uh, they were a lot more passionate about politics than they were about religion. And that sounds a lot like America, doesn't it? That, that re religion to them was pretty empty and pretty hollow, the way it was being led by the Jewish religious leaders. So that was pretty hollow and worthless to Matthew. And there was all this hope in the Messiah but if you were to study all that, you weren't seeing anything happen. There'd been over 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament from God. And so many would have thought that the hope they had in a Messiah was more of a fairy tale. It was more of a wish that would never come true. And all the cynicism that Matthew would have had to go with that, with this bland, just vanilla uh, spirituality and the, the broken hopes and dreams of a Messiah that never came would have made him so cynical to the point where he would say, you know what, why not just collaborate with the enemy and make yourself rich at it? Because that's the way he was living his life, at least until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, it changed everything. What changed Matthew specifically? He found the cure. 
That's why this series is called The Cure, because you're going to find out as we go through the New Testament, this is all about people finding the cure and then wanting to share that cure with everyone else. You see, every single word that came out of the mouth of Jesus to Matthew was healing. Every word, every thought, every sentence, every teaching was transformative to him. How transformative? How big of a change? He was willing to stake his life on this. He was willing to stake his future on this because it cost him both his life and his future. But he was willing to give that because of the transformative power of Jesus and the cure that came from Jesus had for him. You see, this gospel is what we would call an apologetic now, that doesn't mean he's saying he's sorry for something. When we say that term, uh, when we're studying the Bible, it means to defend or a defense. An apologetic is a defense. And he's going to defend the fact that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He is going to prove to Israel. He's going to prove to the Jews that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah that they've all been waiting for. He's going to prove that this idea of Messiah is not all just made up. It isn't just an empty wish or a fairy tale. It's true. It's all true. And if he finds that truth in the person of Jesus. Now, when we get to the centerpiece, like what is the main verse of Matthew's gospel? You have to go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. This is really the epicenter of Matthew's apologetic, of his defense of Jesus. Ready? It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I think he's scanning. And I think that his vision comes on Simon Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Oh, now that's skin in the game, isn't it? Now, uh-oh, I've been called on by the teacher to answer a very key question. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah this special person that was coming, the son of the living God. Wow, he just take it, took it another level up. Not only are you the Messiah, you're the son of God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, it's going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Wow. When you look at that section of verses and you want a memory verse, and I would encourage you to take a memory verse for each one of these books of the Bible. Wouldn't it be great? If when we got done with this series, you had 27 verses committed to memory that you could recall 
to encourage you in tough times. And the verses that I would encourage you to memorize for Matthew 16 are 15 and 16. It's where Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, this is the theme of the whole book. This is what Matthew is saying. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the king of the Jews. And he connects to the Jewish world because Jesus is Jewish. As a matter of fact, Matthew refers to Jesus nine times in his gospel as the son of David. And that means a lot. Now, there's, that's only mentioned one other time in the other gospels. Only, uh, excuse me, nine times that's mentioned. Eight of them are in Matthew and one of them is in a different uh, gospel. The whole book is dedicated to proving the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of David is a part of that. He begins, and if you go to Matthew 1, he begins by doing this exhaustive work of tracing Jesus's genealogy. And you know what he does with that? He literally proves that Jesus has the legal right to the throne of Israel as he was descended from the kings of Israel. This is an undeniable proof that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. Matthew then reviews prophecy after prophecy after prophecy from the Old Testament. He does this twice as much as any other gospel writer. And he proves once again that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was foretold about this Messiah in the Old Testament. There's one particular one I want to point out from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you see, Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he understood that the Messiah wasn't just going to be a great teacher or a great person. He was going to be God in the flesh. He was going to be called the son of God. The son of David was going to be the son of God. And that's why he recalls this prophecy in the Old Testament uh, early in his gospel, Emmanuel, God with us. And he also shows that through the virgin birth that he says in that same verse of scripture. Then Matthew, he contrasts the teaching of Jesus with all these hollow religious traditions that their Jewish religious leaders were living for during that time. And one of the best is Matthew's conclusion to Jesus's sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says in verse 28 and 29 of the book of Matthew. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because, listen, he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Wow. That when they were hearing Jesus, they were leaning in because it was like he had a grasp of this. Well, of course he did because he's the son of God. And people were drawn to that, excited about that. And like Matthew, were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. Now, when Matthew talks about Jewish religious leaders, uh, he's particularly referring to a, a, a group of those leaders called the Sadducees. Uh, 
And the Sadducees are different from the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in the prophets and they believed in life after death. But the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. Talk about a hollow, pointless, faithless religion. And what's worse is they were the ones, they were the spiritual leaders in power during the time of Jesus and Matthew. Uh, They were the ones in power when Jesus was teaching and when he was crucified. Jesus' teaching, though, superseded the Old Testament. Actually, it fulfilled the Old Testament. And if I go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and and you should definitely read that, uh, Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, here's what you hear Jesus say over and over and over again. He says, you've heard that it was said, which means this is what the Old Testament law has to say about this particular topic. But then he follows that by saying, but I say to you, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You see, he's fulfilling the Old Testament. He's getting you beyond the rules and he's allowing you to see into the very heart of God because he is God with us. This was the authority that the Jews were looking for. This is the authority the nation of Israel was looking for. This was the message that they were longing to hear. This is what they'd been waiting for when they were looking for their Messiah. This is what Matthew was looking for. This is what Matthew was longing for. And this was something that Matthew would be willing to give his life for. It was the cure. Jesus, his words, they were the cure. Now, I want us to go back for a minute to those verses we read a little while ago, uh, those key verses of Matthew in Caesarea Philippi where, where Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. Peter's answer to Jesus is critical. It's, it, it answers a critical question. Who Jesus really is. And Matthew was there. And even though Matthew was not the one to say it, I guarantee you he believed it. Because his whole life after that point is a reflection of it. What does it mean then, not just to Matthew, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? If the confession that Peter said is true, you are the Christ, you're the son of God. If Jesus is the Messiah, If Jesus is the son of God, what does that mean to you right now? It means the cure is true. The question is, do you believe it? Do I believe it? You can believe it. This is a cure that you can 100% believe in. It'll be 100% effective Unlike what we're looking for 12 to 18 months down the road with a vaccine, whether that works 100 or 50 or 60 or 20% or antivirals or uh, the seasonal changes, this is 100% effective no matter what your life is about. It'll work no matter what circumstances you face in this world. We might not have a cure for COVID-19, but we do have a cure for your heart. We have a cure for your soul. We have a cure for your eternity. So the question is then, how do we administer it? 
How do you administer a cure like what you're reading about in the book of Matthew? What's the dosage? What's the commitment level to it? Well, I'm going to give you four. And we're going to be revisiting these four every week. The first one is to read or listen. Read it or listen to it. God's word holds the cure for our hearts, our souls, and our eternity. We need to listen to it or read it. Some, uh, I, don't, I don't really care if you're uh, downloading it, listening to it, or if you're reading it off a page. Here's what I want. I want to get God's word into you. I want it to get inside of you. I'm not asking you to study it. I'm just asking you to read it or listen to it. Some of you enjoy reading. Some of you don't. And if you don't like reading, just listen to it at home while you're uh, doing other things or, or in your car when you're driving or uh, on your phone with uh, uh, your uh, ear devices when you're walking or when you're working out. There's an audio on your Bible app. It's on your phone right now. You can do this. You know, if you were driving from uh, Quincy to Kirksville and back, that's an hour and a half one way, three hours. You'd be through the book of Matthew in two and a half. It only takes two and a half hours to listen to this or to read it. And you have a whole week to do it. So I really want you to just, just commit to that. Commit to let God's word get into you. Listen, when God, when God gets his word inside of you, it's going to change you. You cannot resist it. The Bible says it's like a sharp sword and it penetrates in areas of your life where you didn't even know you could be, that that could actually happen to you. So number one, read it or listen to it. Number two, pray it. Pray it. What do I mean by that? I want you to pray that as you read God's word, that you would pray for belief and that you would pray for conviction. I want you to pray that you will, <coughs> excuse me, take God's word personally. Think about what you read. Think about what you hear and how that connects with your life and your circumstances right now. You can do that any moment that you feel led to by the Holy Spirit while you're listening or while you're reading. Number three, I want you to live it. What does that mean? What actions are my convictions leading me to? You know, it's not enough to just look at your reflection in a mirror. It should adjust how you act. Like before I came out here, I had a shirt on and I was looking down at my shirt and I noticed that there was a, a little stain on the pocket of my shirt. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if the camera can see that. And I asked the, the tech guys, hey, can you see this? And I go, yeah, you might want to change it. Now, if I see a stain and I say, well, you know, I don't care. Let's just go ahead and do it. That means my actions really aren't being changed by what I'm reading, my convictions. I changed my shirt. But there are actions in our life that should reflect our new convictions when God's word gets in our lives. So live it. Do I really believe that Jesus is the Christ? And how is that changing how I'm actually living? How's that changing the decisions that I'm making? 
This might be connected to Matthew when you're reading Matthew 5 and you start reading through the Beatitudes and it's blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they'll be filled. And it goes on to talk about mercy and being pure in heart and enduring persecution. Those teachings are recorded for us so that we will change our actions so that our convictions will be reflected in how we live our lives. Number four, share it. Share it. Read it. Pray it. Share it. I I need it to change me, but then I need it to change others around me. I need to encourage the people that I love that are around me to join me in this quest to find this priceless thing and to place it in my heart. I don't want it just to be me that gets better with this cure. I want everybody to get better together. I want everybody around me to get better. I want this inside of my kids and inside of my grandkids. You know, there's tools that we're providing. If you get on uh, our website, uh, thecrossing.net, and you slash forward slash uh, the cure, it's going to give you all kinds of different things you can do. And here's one of the big ones Superbook. If you've got kids at home, if you've got grandkids, listen, I want you to just imagine this. Imagine if your reading plan was actually reading this to your kids. And while the Word of God's getting into you, it's getting to them. Maybe you don't want to read it. Maybe you just listen to it. Superbook, if you put that on your tablet, your phone, your computer, you can turn it around. There are these like animated presentations that are just awesome. Your kids are going to love them. Pictures, all kinds of stuff. And the word of God, the New Testament will just come to life in them. How amazing would it be if the next 27 weeks, it wasn't just getting inside of you, it was getting inside of your kids because you are giving them the cure, the word of God. Listen, you can do this. We're making a commitment together for 27 weeks. You can do this. The virus that we're dealing with in our culture, in our world, 184 countries, it's taken a lot of opportunities away from us, but it has also given us some opportunities. And some of those opportunities are like being with our kids. Let's not waste it. I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about this disease. And he said, you know what? When this is all said and done, we want to be able to look back and we want to have something that we can show for it. This is what we can show for it. We can get the word of God inside of us and inside of our families. Use this time to become the very best Christ followers we can be. Are you ready to do that? Let's do it together as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.